I'm going to start a series today called End Times. And, um, and it's a study on end times. And how many of you know we are in the last days? We're going to talk about that today. How do we know that we are in the last days? We, I mean, how can we be so sure? I'm going to have messages like, is there a rapture? What happened? We're going to go all the way to the great white throne of judgment. So we're going to talk about end times. And we're going to, we're going to start off a little heavy today because we've got to diagnose, are we really in the end times? And if there are, if we really are at the end of end times, um, what, what can we expect? Is there hope for us? What, 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 what should we be looking forward to? Where are the rapture sermons anymore? Where are the speaking of the rapture if there is one? We'll talk about that next week. What, what, what kind of things should we be looking for? Is this all we got? Is this what we have, the, the world we're looking forward to right now? Is this, is this where it is? And we just die and that's it? Is there some kind of great event God's going to do for us that's going to get us out of this world that we live in right now? We're going to talk about that in the next several weeks. So today, I want to tackle the subject, what will the days, the last days be like? Everybody say that with me. What will the last days be like? Did you know that Jesus very clearly explains to us what the last days will be like? So how many of you would think that the best place to get a description or an understanding of what the last days would be like would be from Jesus himself? Would you think Jesus would know? Raise your hand if you think Jesus would know. And if you don't raise your hand, we got another issue. Raise your hand, wave it just like you just don't care. Amen. Jesus knows. Of course he knows. Now poke your neighbor and say, Jesus knows. Of course he does. Well, if Jesus knows and Jesus has put his words in the book, in the Bible, shouldn't we go there to kind of figure out, are we really in the last days? Does that make sense? Amen. Well, let's take a look at that. If you will turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, verse 26 and 30, and we're going to go, uh, we're going we're to talk right from the words of Christ, and we're going to take a look at this, and we're going to break this down. Again, this is going to be... Heavy, by promise, starting next week, it's going to get better. Amen. So it's going to get gooder and gooder. Now, that's good old-fashioned country language right there. Amen. It's going to get gooder and gooder. Poke your neighbor and say it's going to get gooder and gooder. What will the last days be like? And if you got your Bibles out, whatever form you got, I want you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, these are the words of Christ. And he's telling us what it's going to be like at the end times. Luke chapter 17, verse 26 through 30 in the New King James Version reads this way. And, it, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. The days of the Son of Man is the end of times. So he's right now, he's giving us a clue. If you want to know what it's going to be like when we get to the end of time, all you got to do is go back to the days of Noah and study a little bit on that. Then he said... They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. So you go back to Genesis 19 and 18 and you find out what was it like in the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so... Will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed? So it's very clear Jesus is telling us, if you want to know when you're in the last days, all you have to do 
is look and see what was it like at the days of Lot and the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man when he's revealed when he comes back for the church. So we're going to talk about that today. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for your word. Thank you for what you're going to teach us. Thank you for this teaching on the end times that you've put in my spirit to do over the next several weeks. I, I pray, God, that you would anoint me to communicate this as clearly as you have given to me. I pray you make it clear. I pray, God, it fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. Speak to us, O oh God, today, for your servants are listening. And we'll bless you, we'll honor you, and we ask you to add your blessing to the word. Now, God, speak right through me in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have. And let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word. And not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. High five, two or three people as you're being seated. And ask them, what will the end of days be like? There's a striking similarity between the days of Noah and Lot and these modern times. Jesus told his disciples that as it was in the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Noah, so would it be in the days of the Son of Man at the end of age at the coming of Jesus. When you read the book of Jesus and you compare it to our day, you can clearly see why Jesus said, as it was, so it will be. It's almost... And it was virtually a full rejection of God. Second Peter 2 and 5 says, And he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. First Peter 3.20 says, To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, it was only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Now, Noah was an upright man. He was a man that found favor with the sight of God. He was a man of righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness. Uh, it, but people wouldn't listen to his message because they didn't want to hear what God had to say. They didn't want to hear anything. Let me ask you if this sounds any what familiar. They didn't want to hear anything that was contrary to the lifestyle that they wanted to live. They rejected the preacher of righteousness. And the place where Lot lived was true with him. It was so bad that Abraham prayed on behalf of the entire city of Sodom and Sodom, which they expect to be in the tens of thousands. And he said, if I can even find just 10 righteous people, would you spare the city? God said I would, and he couldn't, and he destroyed four cities. Think about the percentages of that. The population before the flood and Noah and the days of Lot had totally rejected God and anything that stood for God and anything that was morally correct. It, do we live in a society, I'm just asking here, that is beginning to massively go that direction? God was not at all in their thoughts. Now, we're not totally depraved to where God is not at all in our thoughts. To my utter pleasure, I read yesterday that one of the Olympians... 
a girl who set the world record for the 400 meter race, when they asked her about it and they were making the big to do, the world record holder, she simply said, our records are made to be broken, but all the glory goes to God. I thought, there's an Olympian that gets it. I like this lady. So what were some of the issues? What were some of the issues that Jesus listed in the New Testament that said, you need to look for these things, and when you see these things at the days of Lot and Noah, you're going to know you're at the end of times. Well, I'm going to show you four of them in this passage. The first one, everybody say it, it's overindulgence. Now, I already know that word in the church world is a cuss word. Because we like to, in the church, talk about all the drunkenness and the drugs and all the big stuff. But did you know that overindulgence is equally a sin in the sight of God? One condition in the days of Noah and Lot set forth by the Lord Jesus Christ was eating and drinking. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with eating and drinking because we have to have it. It's necessary for life. But this eating, when you study, has reference to overindulgence and living to satisfy the sensual appetite and not living to satisfy God. It's one thing to eat because you're hungry and you enjoy a nice meal out. It's another when you are moved and directed by your sensual feelings, your fleshly motivations, whether that be eating, whether it be sexual desires, whatever it might be. If you're ruled by anything other than God, it is overindulgence. I have a question for you. I'm just going to ask this repeatedly through this message. Do you feel like we live in a society of overindulgence? Philippians 3, 18 through 19 says this. I told you this would be heavy today, but stick with me. Come back next week. It'll get better. Amen. I got to tell you the bad news before the good. That's the problem that we have when we witness about Jesus Christ. We don't tell them that their sin is leading them to hell, so they don't understand what Jesus is saving them from. We've got to explain to people why Jesus is so great. Somebody say amen to that. Philippians 3, 18 through 19, Paul writes about this. He said, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. This is something he is trying with everything he can to explain to the Philippian church of his day. And he says, there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. He doesn't look at what they say. He looks at their behavior. He said the way they're acting is leading them to destruction. Watch what he says. Their God is their appetite. Their sensual desires. The natural desires give God gave us. God gave us a natural desire for food and water. God gave us, I know it's taboo to talk about in church, but God gave us a natural desire in the right context for sex. And things that we enjoy. But they cannot be the thing that drives us. Somebody say amen. amen. He said they brag about shameful things. And they think only about things life on this earth. What he's trying to say here is he's saying, man, somewhere along the way, we've got to get kingdom minded. Somewhere along the way, we've got to be about the Lord Jesus Christ business. Somewhere along the way, we got to get our head out of the here and now and say, wait a minute, there's a big eternity waiting for us. Jesus warned us against making the satisfaction of the physical person the main purpose and object of life. He said life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that you possess. Luke 21, 34, 35, Jesus said, watch out. 
Now, when you see that word watch there, it's a military term. That word watch there means that you are on guard. It's like your hundred guys that are with you are asleep in the middle of the night, and you're the only one awake, and your job is to keep an eye out for the enemy to protect those people. That's the kind of watch he is saying here. He says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day, what? The day of the Lord catch you unaware. I'm going to flesh what that means out in coming weeks. Like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. We've got to keep our mind on spiritual things and not on the, the, the here and now, the earthly things. Here's a couple of passages and then we're going to move on. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. I love this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Everybody say your heart. Your heart is where your desires come from. It's where your passions are. It's where your love is. It's where those things that move you and drive you. He said very clearly here in Colossians to set your heart, set those things that move you, set those things that you're passionate about, set your everything within you that drives you where? On things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He tells us we should have motivation. He tells us we ought to have passion. He tells us we ought to have that inner drive that says, man, I want to see God do something. But he wants us not to use it to get a $100 million contract to play ball, but rather to see souls saved and the kingdom of God advanced. He said, set your, watch this, then he says, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Your mind. So what he's saying here is he's saying, you've got to get your heart, those inner passions and emotions and desires and your thinking all headed towards the kingdom of God. Because where your heart and mind go is where you go. He goes on to say in Romans 8, 5 through 8, and I say he because Paul wrote both letters. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh, watch this, cannot please God. So I have a question for you here today. What is your mind constantly on? Is your mind constantly on God and His Word? Or is your mind never on God and His Word, only on Sunday morning, but you're consumed with everybody else's world and you know what's going on with everybody else on social media, but have no idea what God is thinking through His Word? Is it constantly on the latest sports scores? Can you identify who got traded at the trade line into what team? Can you, can you tell who got the five gold medals in the Olympics? Do you know what standing every team is in baseball? Do you know who got drafted in the NBA draft? Those things, I'm not preaching against them because I can tell you a lot of those answers myself. But do you know all that and have no idea what God is telling you in Philippians or Colossians? Do you have any idea what Mark says? Are you up to date on the latest HDTV and you'd never miss an episode, but you'll go weeks without touching your Bible? Are you up to date on Chip and Joanna Gaines so you can get your house just like they do it? That you have no idea what's going on in the kingdom of God? I'm just asking questions here today. I'm talking to church folks here today now. 
I'm not preaching out there to the world. I'm preaching to the house of God. Are you up on the latest fashion designs on what's going rather than what's going on in the kingdom of God? Are you keeping up more with what's going on with the Kardashians than you do with what God is doing in his kingdom? I'm just asking a fair question here today. Another issue listed by Jesus that were in the days of Lot and Noah and our generation today is number two, sexual sins. I told you this won't be a fan favorite today, but it'll get better tomorrow or next week. Amen? Another condition set forth by Christ was that they married wives. Matthew 24, 38. Now, there's nothing wrong with marriage, but you have to understand the context of what Jesus was trying to say here. Matthew 24, 38. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. In that day, the idea that one man would be married to one woman was taboo. And if you preached that way, you were a lunatic. In other words, if you preach that God's ordained method was for you to marry one person till the day one of you dies was not accepted in those days. To the point that even Noah's father, Genesis 4.19, Lamech, married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. I want to tell you that in today's day and age, listen, marriage meant nothing back in those days. In the time of Lot and Noah, it meant nothing. Everybody slept with everybody. Everybody did whatever they wanted to do. I have a question for you. Does that feel anything like today's society? Marriage has become a mere convenience for satisfying lust. Not a desire to spend the rest of your life someone and letting them complete you and you complete them. See, God designed marriage not to make you happy. I love doing premarital counseling because I love to ask, why did God create marriage? And, and I get so many times, oh, to make me happy. Oh, God wants to make me happy. No, God gave you marriage to mature you. God gave us marriage to kill selfishness. But as you'll find out real quick, if you're going to have a happy marriage, you've got to be selfless. And if marriage don't do it, God says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you three or four kids, and we'll just keep pounding that selfishness out of you. Amen? And, and y'all figure it out much faster than me because God says, well, old Dallas needs some more help. I'll give him a whole church full of people. <laughs> We're going to grind him down to pulverization because that old boy is selfish at heart, and he needs to learn to be selfish, selfless. Somebody say Amen. People now marry for lust and not for love. That's why the divorce rate is so high. And the world is 50%. And in the church, sad to say, it's 50%. And now, listen to this. Open marriages are the latest rage. What is an open marriage? An open marriage is, well, you go, I know we're married, but you go sleep with whoever you want. You come home when you want. And man, marriage is great. You ask some couples, they will even tell you, my marriage has been great. Since we've been sleeping around on each other. Man, it's just been wonderful. It is, it is so prevalent now that in one household I read about not too long ago. That the dude had his mistress moved into the basement of the house with his wife and kids. And like everybody's okay with this. I, I got a question. On what planet does that even sound right? That sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah. I better keep going. Now they get together, and now well, here's the latest thing. They used to move in. Other, listen, if it wasn't for open marriages and moving in together, the divorce rate would actually be much higher. So now here's the latest thinking. Well, I like so-and-so, so I'll tell you what I'll do. 
I'll go three nights a week and spend the night at his place, and we'll have sex all night long, and I'll go back to my apartment. But I'm not even going to move in with him because if I do and things don't work out a month from now, now I lost my apartment. So I, I'll just keep things on. We'll just keep things separate. We'll have our own places, but we'll have our fun as well. Marriage bonds are snapped at the least problem, and the sacredness and sanctity of the marriage bond is no longer considered a command of God, and it's no longer considered sacred. I had the wonderful privilege to marry a young couple last night, and I want to tell you, I know, I believe with all my heart, they took their wedding vows seriously. When I marry someone, I lead them in a serious, this is before God. Does anybody care about that anymore? This all comes from a warped idea of marriage and a disregard for God's Bible and His commands. Now, I'm not saying that that's going on in here. I'm telling you, what will the days of the end of days be like? And that's where we are. How many of you are seeing this? I watched on a video that one night I was flipping through, and it was, I, I can't remember what it was, and, and it was like an Entertainment Tonight thing, and, and, and this popular actress she was just before she was going to walk down the aisle she was in her wedding gown she had all the whole garb she had done everything the wedding was getting ready to start and she allowed a reporter to ask her are you nervous this was her answer right before she walked down the aisle oh why would i be there's always divorce she's about to go say her vows before god and people and her mind is well if it don't work out or he don't make me happy it's divorced See, we're not only faced with marriages and divorces, but the sin of infidelity and adultery is at an all-time high. The prominence of the sin of sodomy and homosexuality is skyrocketing, and it is gaining such momentum that now people are actually being thrown in jail in some countries around the world because they preach anything other than homosexuality is okay. Folks, that day is coming to us as a church body and a Christian people in America. Transgenders begin for children in elementary school. Jude 1.7 says it this way. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah, that was the days of Lot, and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. Just stop right there. Does that sound anything like today's day and age? Watch what it says, though. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to have very many pastors in America right now preach a message like this. And I'll tell you why. Because they're afraid people will leave. They're afraid they'll get mocked. They're afraid they'll lose tithe money. They're afraid they'll disappoint people. I want to tell you, I love you all too much to not tell you the truth. And I'm serious about that. I love you too much to not tell you the truth. Because one day, you've got to answer for you. I've got to answer for you and what I led you in. I've got to be able to stand before God and say, when God says, did you warn them when I told you to? Or did you chicken out and preach something you thought they would tickle their ears? Because, folks, I will give an account for that, and I take it dead serious. Here's what he said. He said, when you give yourself up to sexual immorality and perversion, you will receive punishment, listen, of eternal fire. Listen, this ain't a game we're playing with. 
Eternity is forever. When you're on this earth, folks, you get a second chance. We all have the chance to repent right now and get things right with God. But when we play with fire and we play with sin and we choose to live and give ourselves up for that and think everything's all right, there is eternal fire. It's eternal, folks. It never ends. A million years from now, people in hell will still be burning in hell. And I want to tell you something. I don't say that to make anybody mad. I'm not a fear monger. I'm not a homosexual monger. I am a biblical man of God that says this is what God says. Is it still okay to just simply say this is what God says? We live in a society that don't want to hear it, but I want to tell you, I'm going to be like Noah to the day I die. I'm going to be a preacher of righteousness. Genesis 13, 13 says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Genesis 18, 20, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly great. In Genesis 19, God sent two angels to Sodom. He sent two angels to Sodom, and out of that great city, they could only find one place to lodge and spend the night because there was only one righteous family in the whole city. Everybody else had lost their mind. However, the family had already been tainted by the sins of Sodom. Watch what Genesis says. Chapter 19, verse 4 and 5. Before they had gone to bed, all the men of every part of the city of Sodom both young and old, surround the house. Now, I find this interesting. It says, all the men of every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surround the house. They called a lot. Where are the men who came out to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. The Bible says, everybody say, all men in all parts of the city had gone so crazy that they wanted to rape these two angels. This never hit me until I was studying this message, just reviewing my notes this week. Do you know that includes his two sons-in-laws? All men in all parts of the city. And when Lot tried to talk to them, they thought he was mock they mocked him and they thought he was playing games. His own son-in-laws were that part of that. This is where the sin received its name, sodomy. Sodom and Gomorrah had so deteriorated that homosexuality was now a common and accepted sin among all the men in that place. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Would you say that we are in the end of days? As it was in the days of Lot, so it is at the end of days and the Son of Man. This is the thing that happens when people worship the Creator instead of the creation rather than the Creator. Watch what Romans says. Paul writes this, ultimately the Holy Spirit. Romans 1, 26, 27. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women who were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. The sin that used to keep people in the closet and cause them to bow their head in shame in public are now in our face constantly and they are absolutely flaunting it out there for all society and demanding that we not only tolerate it, but we accept it and we praise them for it. 
to the tune of government officials being out and outright homosexuals, to one in six children in high school and universities being homosexual, to gay clubs, to societies, to you name it, folks. I don't know about you, but when I read about Sodom and Gomorrah and some of their sexual sins, and I look at today's day and age, I see a striking similarity. Does anybody else see that? They existed now, then, and they exist now. Luke 17, 26, Jesus said again, As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. The warped idea of sex has so completely possessed this generation that it literally oozes from the pores of American life. Pornographic literature is now published under the guise of art, and it's used to inflame passions of its readers. People can take an innocent art class now and not realize what they're getting into and walk into a room where a male or a female completely disrobes and your idea is to sit there and drink wine and paint a naked person standing in front of you. Pornographic videos are now shown to first graders in some schools, at least in New York State, as a way of teaching sex education. Full-fledged male and female genitals are shown to six-year-old first graders to te- in the name of sex education. We live in a day and age where the pornographic industry brings in billions of dollars, so much so that the pornographic industry brings in more money than all professional sports combined. NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Hockey, all of them. In fact, brings in more money than all the music industry combined. I'm telling you, the reason this business continues to grow is because there's a public demand for it. I read recently, very recently, as of like three weeks ago, um, maybe a little longer than that, maybe about a month ago, that an extensive poll was done among churches in America. You're going to gasp when you hear this because I did when I read it. They polled anonymously Churches across America, they did a very extensive poll, thousands upon thousands of church members, and they found that 50% of church members admitted that they are uh, uh, addicted to pornography. Not that they click on from time to time and repent and try to get right. No, they're totally full-fledged addicted to regular daily pornography. What's worse than that, 65% of pastors agreed that they are addicted to full-fledged pornography. And we wonder why we don't hear sermons on sin anymore. And we wonder why God has written Ichabod across the doors of many churches and God's spirit is no longer there. Folks, if we ever live in a day and age of Lot and Noah, it is now. Things that were shunned by all of society are now almost readily acceptable. Let me take some of you back. If you're younger than me, I'm 47 now. Um, and uh, if you're, if you, let me just take you back a little bit, some of you. I'll take you back when I was a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s. Let me tell you about a show in the 1970s that got all of America turned upside down. It was called Three's Company. Oh, because Jack Ritter and Joyce Stewart and Suzanne Somers all moved into an apartment together. Now, they didn't have sexual relations together, but the fact that one man lived with two women was way too risque for America, and there was an outcry. How many of you are old enough to remember that? Raise your hand. You remember that? Are you kidding me? If you could get them to do a sitcom like Three's Company nowadays, it'd be like Disney cartoons. 
Look at the sitcoms in the 1970s and 80s when I was growing up and now. I grew up in the Reagan era. Things were a lot different back then. Today, movies are filled with full-fledged nudity. Full-fledged graphic nudity. And mostly sex outside of marriage. And many church people, I'm talking to the church today, not the world. Many church people line up and pay their $11 a ticket to watch full-fledged graphic nudity and fill themselves with perversion and filth. I know two young couples that when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, they loaded up and they went to watch Fifty Shades of Grey. Why on earth any woman would want to take her husband and watch other women full-fledged nudity, I, I, it's beyond my comprehension. But they loaded up and they went there and then several months later they were, they were talking to me about there was adultery and why did he cheat on me. I don't know. Maybe it's because you took him to see Fifty Shades of Grey. Come on, let's use our head for a minute here. Is it hard to preach like this? Does anybody want to hear it anymore? The line continues to get pushed and move towards filthiness. In the 1970s and 80s, when I was a kid, in order to watch something sexually perverted, you had to watch on H, you had to have HBO, or you had to go watch it at a movie theater or rent a movie, but you weren't going to see it on regular TV. Now you just turn on ABC or CBS and you will find sitcoms with women in their undergarments. Sexual scenes are the norm and on and on. Commercials are filled with scantily dressed women. I mean, they're so, they're so retarded, some of these commercials. They put on, they're selling a Hardy's hamburger and they got some lady scantily dressed and she's sensually biting into the hamburger. And I'm thinking, that doesn't make me want to eat a hamburger. When I was, when, when we were walking in the mall one day, Aaron, could, he was not even three. He was about two and a half years old. I'm pushing him in the stroller. Holly's beside me, and we're walking. And as we approach, there's Victoria's Secret. And, of course, they have the lady right there in the panties and the bra. And at two and a half years old, my son, who has no idea at that point in time about anything from anything, looked up and he goes, Mom, look at the naked ladies. You remember that, Holly? You don't remember that? I remember it very well. She's shaking her head. She's going, just move on, move on. Look, we live in a day and age where a man is born a male. He is a man. He decides to have a sex change and become a female in his mind and gets to compete in weightlifting in the Olympics. Folks, are we like in the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah and the flood? I'm just asking a question here. Does it sound like we're close? Another issue listed. You want me to continue to preach? How many of you want to know, are we really in the last days? So you have overindulgence, you have sexual sins. Number three, you have filthy conversation. Everybody say filthy conversation. 2 Peter 2, 7, and delivered just Lot vexed. With the filthy conversation of the wicked. Filthy conversation was the norm and the common in the days of Lot. The word vexed here means to wear down, to tire down, to labor down, to wear with toil. Today, isn't that what we deal with today? Aren't, don't you get wore down by all the filthiness that's out there? You can hardly engage in a conversation with the average person without being subjected to this. 
Again, in the 1970s and 80s, if you wanted to watch a movie that had cursing in it and took God's name in vain, you had to have HBO or you had to go to a movie theater or you had to go rent a, 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 a movie. But today, all you got to do is turn on ABC, NBC, CBS, or Fox. Any regular sitcom has it all. Well, pastor, everyone uses curse words. Everyone in society. Even the teachers in school. What's the big deal? Well, I'll tell you what it is. I don't care what society accepts. I don't care what teachers give. I don't care what everybody else says is okay. I want to know what God says is okay. I want to know what the Bible says. Do we still care to hear what God and the Bible say? Is this all right? Do we still want preaching like this? I mean, I'm just asking. Well, pastor, everybody else cares. It's just words. What's the big deal? Well, let's look at what the Bible says about just words. Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Just period. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. But pastor, my teacher cusses. Pastor, everyone else around me cusses. Everybody cusses. What's the big deal? The big deal is God said, don't do it. Is this okay to still preach the word? Let's go on. Ephesians 5, 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The Bible says you should not be around the water cooler telling dirty jokes. Is this Presbyterian church still like the truth of the word? <laughs> Colossians 3, 8. But now you must also rid yourselves. Quit waiting for God to shoot you with a lightning bolt out of sky. God said you rid yourself of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Why would you want to curse your life? Why would you want to curse your car? Maybe that's why the cars broke down all the time. Can I, can, I, can I say something without offending you? I'm not using foul language when I say this. But when you say, when you damn your car and then it's always broke down, you've done it. It's not that hard to figure out. If you have a pet and you're constantly damning the dog and the cat and it's driving you crazy and tearing your house up, you're doing it. Start blessing the dog. Grit your teeth and say, in the name of Jesus, you'll never get pee in my house. If you have to lay your hands on the car, say, in the name of Jesus, I bless you. I bless you. If you're constantly damning your marriage and you wonder why you don't have the marriage you think you should, maybe you should quit damning your marriage. I better go on with this because I know I'm getting in hot water here now. Here's the deeper problem with filthy communication. Because it's even deeper than why does God tell us not to? Because it's just words. Pastor, in Australia, uh, uh, the word booger is a, like the F word here, but you could say it here. So whoa, whoa, cuss words is all man-made. No, listen. What's the deeper issue? The deeper issue with filthy communication is this. It reveals a depraved heart. 
Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers, Jesus speaking, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of what fills the heart. So when you find yourself using nothing but filthy language, that's because that's what's inside. It reveals what's going on on the inside. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks within himself, so what? So he is. Is this still okay preaching today? Can I go to one more? Yeah. Thank you, Tracy. I'm glad somebody wants to hear it. Another issue listed by Jesus in the days of Lot and Noah that we're affected with today is number four, materialism. Everybody say materialism. The days of Noah and Lot were times of material achievements. Look what Jesus said, Luke 17, 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Jesus was saying here that materialism dominated the day. I got a big question for you. Does it feel like materialism is dominating the day today? People have become so materialistic in our times until they have no more time for Almighty God. Oh, I'm going to shake that bush here in a minute. They say they love God, but can't find their way to the house of God. I've got a very good friend in Georgia who knows a girl that got a full-paid scholarship to Florida State University to play softball. She was on the 2018 National Championship team. But her and her parents used to be in church until she started showing a little promise in ball. When she started showing a little promise in ball, they started skipping church because they had to go to travel ball. They would pay $1,000 just to get her on the team. They would pay $150 an hour for trained hitting coaches. Everything revolved around travel ball, travel ball, travel ball. They spent tens of thousands of dollars every weekend. Ball, 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 ball. Finally bought a camper so they could quit eating out and having hotels. Tens of thousands of dollars. But Pastor, she won a national championship with Florida State. Whoa. She graduated from the University of Florida State with a ring on her finger. She moved back home and became a PE teacher and the local high school softball coach. And now none of them are in church. Because the mom and dad taught her and themselves sports was their God and not God. Oh, I'm going to go there because now we're going to ruffle the feathers when we start talking about sports being America's God. If you don't think sports and the world and sports is, a, is the world's God, they said last night on the Olympics that there were at least 10 million people watching live, not counting what they watch over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on. I know I'm getting uncomfortable and dangerous ground here, but I want to tell you kids play multiple sports now and parents will kill themselves lugging them from one sporting event to the other sporting event to the other sporting event and think nothing about not going to the house of God. And you know what we're doing in American society? We are teaching our children sports is God and God is not. I'm going to keep preaching. They can't be at church even once a month, but you better know they're not going to have their kids miss a practice, and they're not going to have them miss a training session or any meeting or anything. Pastor, I can't go to the house of God because it inflicts on the timing of my kids' sports schedule. Don't tell me that it don't happen because we got families in this church right now that week in and week out, you don't see them, but they don't miss their kid being at that sporting event on Sunday afternoon. What are they teaching their children? That 
that's God and not God Almighty. And you say, Pastor, you shouldn't be preaching like this. Somebody's got to wake us up and say, who is going to be God? But pastor, my, my kid could be the next whatever. Okay, give them $200 million. What's that going to do for their eternity? We got to wake up, folks. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this, and I want you to watch with me. I'm going to break down each phrase and each word. Are you ready? Everybody say, I'm ready. We're closing with this. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Are you sure this is Okay. But realize this, that in the last days, you're going to leave this up because I'm going to go word by word here. That in the last days, everybody say last days. Let, let's just see. Let's do a litmus test here. Let's just see. Do we feel like we're in the last days? I read through this and studied it. I studied the words. I'm going to tell you what they mean. And I came to a conclusion, and I think you will as well. In the last days, difficult times, difficult here means perilous. That means hard to deal with, hard to bear, painful and grievous. I got a question. When you turn on the news, is it easy to bear with or hard to bear with? For men will be lovers of self. People will appear to be way more selfish now than they did when I was a child. How many of you would agree with that? Forty years ago as a society, we're way more selfish as people than we used to be. As a matter of fact... Fifty years ago, people bought houses and built houses with front porches so they would sit on front porches and welcome the neighbors as they walked down the street. Now they have no front porch. They got a back deck because they don't want to see nobody. We've gone from a front porch society to a back deck society. This is just logical. Just look around, folks. Lovers of money. I watched a documentary recently on Shaquille O'Neal when he got through his Rookie, C, or rookie contract for the Orlando Magic, he had a choice. He said, I was about to sign for the Orlando Magic for $85 million. And he said it was going to be the biggest contract in history. He said, I was just about to do it. He said, the Lakers were wooing me. He said, all this stuff. And he said, I turn on ESPN and da-na-na, da-na-na. Alonzo Mourning got $100 million. He said, well, he ain't better than me. I'm not, I ain't going to sign for no $85 million. And so the Orlando Magic, or not the Orlando Magic, the Orlando Sentinel newspaper, listen to this, put out an article, a poll, and they said, do you think Shaquille O'Neal is worth $100 million? And 85% of the people who answered the poll in Orlando said, no way. I would have been one that said, no way. Look, because you seven foot two and can dunk a ball, you ain't worth $100 million. I'll tell you that right now, and I love sports. Any man who thinks he's worth that has lost his mind. Listen. He got offended because 85% of Orlando said he ain't worth it. So he said, well, fine. I'll go to L.A. They think I'm worth it there. He now admits that it was nothing but ego. And if he had to do it over and he wasn't 22 years old anymore, he would have stayed with Orlando. It says men will be lovers of money. They will be boastful, an empty pretender, an imposter, a braggart. They'll be revilers, blasphemous, speaking evil and slanderous. They'll be disobedient to parents. Have you ever seen a time in a day and age when children are more disobedient and disrespectful than their parents than they are in today's day and age? I was 15 years old and I decided I was big enough, strong enough, and tough enough to buck my dad. 
I didn't even say anything outlandish. I just kind of whispered under my breath something. And I'm telling you in the blinking of an eye. I'm telling you that's why. In the twinkling of an eye, you ain't going to be able to get right with God. In the twinkling of an eye, my dad's nose was this close to my nose. His fist was right here. There was fire in his eyes. He said, boy, you ever even think about talking like that again, and I'll knock you out. Sorry, Daddy. says they're ungrateful. We live in a day and age of ungratefulness. Never happy. Never appreciate what they receive. Have you ever given somebody a gift or done something for somebody and they can't even say thank you? I know it just may be me, but man, if I do something for you, I go out of the way. I'm not expecting much, but I, I would like to see a little gratefulness. And if you can't even say thank you, I ain't giving you nothing else. That's the society we live in. We live, in a, we live in a society of, 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 of it, I expect it. You owe me not one of gratitude. Let me prove it to you. Back in the in years ago, in the 1950s, they were what? They were called government what? Does anybody remember? They were, they were, they were not entitlements. Anybody remember? They were government, uh, I, can't, I lost the word myself. <laughs> they were like government provisions. They were like government, you know, we're here to help you. But now they're called entitlements, handouts, whatever. I'm moving on. I don't have the foggiest idea, I forgot. They're seen, he said in the last days, people will be unholy, they'll be profane. Folks, we live in a society where people are no longer ashamed of their sin, rather they flaunt it. Said they're unloving, without natural affection, unsociable, inhuman, hard-hearted towards kindred. Have you ever seen such a dis-family-oriented society than what we live in now? Irreconcilable, they're truce-breakers. Without treaty or covenant, cannot be persuaded to enter a covenant. Can you remember a time when you could shake somebody's hand and that was it? That was the contract? I remember my dad going to the bank and telling the banker, I need X amount of money. And he shook his hand and the banker gave it to him. I remember when you could give your word as your bond. Here's one that blew me away. You ready? Everybody say malicious gossips. I thought, okay, that's talking really bad about somebody until I watched, until I read the definition. Malicious gossips is a Greek word, diabolos, which means Satan, devil, false accuser. When you maliciously gossip against somebody, you have taken Satan's persona and spirit and you are acting just like Satan. He said, last days, men will be without self-control. That's powerless. They'll be brutal, though savage and fierce. They'll be haters of good. They'll be opposed to goodness and good men. Does it sound like today? I'm, I'm just asking. I know this is bad news today, but does this sound like we're in the last days? 
It said they'll be treacherous. They'll be betrayers and traitors like Benedict Arnold. They'll be reckless, falling headlong and rash. They'll be conceited, which means to envelop with smoke, to wrap in smoke, to, to, to say they're one thing, they're really not. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They'll hold a form of godliness, which is a form, a shaping, and a semblance. In other words, Pastor, I go to church on Sunday morning every now and then. When somebody blesses the meal, I say Amen. You got a form of religion, but deny its power. That means to deny, to refuse to acknowledge, to disavow, to reject, to disown the real, true power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what the last thing says? He says, all these people, he said, avoid such men as these. See, folks, the Word of God warns us about becoming so engrossed in those times and so busy with the cares of life that the day of Christ will overtake us. Here's what he says. He will come back in an hour that we think not. Matthew 24, 44. He will come in an hour that we not only think not, but he will come as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. He will also come suddenly in a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. You see, the masses of the world will not realize until it's too late. The people of Noah's day heard the preaching of Noah, and they didn't understand, and they didn't care to hear it until the door was closed and the rain started, and it was too late. In the days of Lot, he preached righteousness. He preached to them. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't care to hear it until the day he left the city and fire fell down from heaven and consumed them all. And hear my words. Preaching like this, people today don't want to hear it until I'm afraid it's too late and the rapture's happen and we're out of here. I plead with you today. What's the point of all this, Pastor? Because the day of Christ is at hand. That's what the point of this is. How many of you, by showing them hands after hearing what Jesus said and comparing it to the days of Noah and Lot, would say, we are in the last days? So what does that mean for us? Number one, that means if you got things you're doing wrong in your life regularly, get it right before God. It's time to repent and get right with God. The second thing is this. It's time for us to go out and win as many souls as we possibly can. There's a real hell, there's a real devil, and there's a real rapture that's getting ready to happen. I'm going to answer that next week, but I'll let the cat out of the bag. Praise God, yes, there's a rapture coming. And glory to God, I hope it happens today if it's all fine with me. Glory to God, let's just all go be with Jesus. But until we get there, folks, what are we doing to win lost people because this is real? And is our life right with God? Are we living by the Bible and the Word of God? Do we take God's Word serious? Are we saved? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? I'll be shorter next week. Is there anyone in here that you say, Pastor... No qualms about it. There's things that are not right in my life, and I need to repent and get it right. I'm not going to ask you to come down front, but I do want you to raise your hand. If you're here, God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? God bless you. Is there anyone else? God bless you. Is there anyone else? 
right where you are, God saw those hands. I'd like for everybody to just pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. God, this message was not, God, you know my intent was not to beat anyone down. It was just to say, hey, we are in the last days. And I believe that the trumpet could sound any moment. Oh, God, I see the precious hands that went up, and I pray for every one of them, Father, as they repent. Lord, I thank you for the promise in your word. It boldly declares that if we'll confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from any and all unrighteousness. We receive this by faith now. And I thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for the ability to repent, Father. And I bless each and every person right now, God. Lord, that we walk away from here clean. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice? You say, Pastor, I've been in church. I've done the church thing. I'm even reading the Bible. But the fact is, I've never really surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And I want to do that right now. Is that you? Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I feel like there's somebody in here. Is there anybody? God bless you. God bless you. Everything was worth it all through your one hand. I'd like for you to pray this with me, and I'd like for everybody to join me for the sake of this person. Would you just simply pray, Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me all my wrongs, all my sins. I ask you to come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Wash my sin away <laughs> and make me right in your sight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for working in the hearts of people here today, God. Thank you for the precious person that gave their life to you. Thank you, Father, for the call to repentance. And now I ask, and now I ask for everyone else. Would you commit yourself to saying, man, we are in the last days, and I'm going to do everything I can to win as many people to Jesus as I can. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to witness. I want God to give me boldness to witness. I want, as Paul said, God to open doors for the gospel. I want to minister the gospel. If that's you, I just want you just to pray right now. I hope that's every one of us in here. Come on, let's pray. Join me with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray, propel us. Let our heart and our mind be set on the things of the kingdom of God set on things above Lord Jesus I pray you move us I pray you spurn us God I pray Father our vision and our focus be on you and on lost souls I pray God open a door for the gospel every day put us in the path of people that need to hear about you and give us the courage give us the boldness to share Jesus with them Lord I pray we be a group of people that recognizes that we are in the last days and we will march forward in sharing you, Jesus, with everybody we come in contact with. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. 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 Can we give Jesus a hand clap of praise? Because somebody gave their life to Jesus. Yeah. Here's what we'd like for you to do for, for that one person, um, or if maybe you got gave your life to Jesus and we didn't know about it yet. Uh, if you'll just... Uh, uh, let us know. You can see the uh, uh, you, 
Yeah, text the word believe to the number on the screen because we want to get this purple book in your hand. Here's what I'm going to do with this purple book. I need everybody to listen for just a minute and we're going to be dismissed. Next week will be shorter. There are 12 lessons in this book called Purple Book. 12 main lessons. But each, within each main lesson, there are like five lessons. This is designed to do work every day. So like the first main lesson has five sub-lessons. So it's designed five days during the week for you to go to the scriptures, fill it out, get the answers, and work through this, and then meet back a week later with someone, and you walk through the book together. Here's what we're going to do. Um, we only have three on us today, but in two weeks, everybody say two weeks. I am personally going to lead this class at two o'clock on Sundays, whoever wants to come. This is an opportunity for you to walk through. We're going to give you, we have three books today. We're going to give you one next week as well. And the object of this is for you to go through like sin and salvation is one main category with five sub-lessons. To go through all those lessons before August 15th in two weeks. And then you come in here at 2, we're going to have a place designated, and we're just going to walk through this together. And then if you would like a mentor, we're going to assign you someone that can help answer questions for you and help you. It is my passion and my heart to walk you through this. I pray you take advantage of it. There's something powerful about coming together, and there's a group of people working together. I'm going to leave this myself. Now, there may be a week or two I can't. We'll get somebody else. But for the main part, I'm going to do this. And I want to ask you to please consider being a part of this because you're going to learn so much and God's going to speak to you so awesomely through this. So grab one of these. There's only three today, but we'll have boxes full of them next week. So God bless you. I'm done talking. Somebody else can do it. Amen. So before we go, we want to have a chance to worship in our giving, and that's what we'll do as we close out the service. And I do want to say, if you are new with us, thank you for coming. Grab a purple book, yes. And then uh, we want you. We want to connect with you also. So please, if you have not had a chance to fill out a connect card, we would love for you to do so. You can do that digitally by scanning a QR code that we have, or we'll give you a paper connect card. We would uh, want to connect with you. So do that before you leave today. And we're going to. Yep, there's the connect card spill. There is the uh, the digital um, QR code that you can scan, and you can do that digitally if you'd like instead of filling out the the paper. So we got the old school way, we got the techie way, either way you want to do it. Um, and then our ways to give, we want to let you know as we worship, we do this on our way out the door. It's at the end, but it's not reserved for last because it's the least important. It's just at the end of service. We want, we hope your heart is full and we want giving is what helps us further the kingdom of God. We want to give, we want to be obedient in our tithes and then we want to give an offering so that we can continue to do things like supporting the outreach for that that we're supporting for the backpack ministry that's um, we're they're starting that this week right and uh, we we are blessing this church church on fire and we're giving they're giving away I don't know how many hundreds of backpacks it's a huge deal and we're jumping on board with them and helping bless and and and, and, uh, and do that so we have outreach ministries going on we so it, your money goes towards good 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 things in ministry and it also helps us to get purple book do you know we put purple book in in hands of every person that we find that comes to know christ whether they come to this church or not if i lead somebody to the lord we put purple book in their hands and we tell them we want to disciple you and so anyway this helps us to do ministry ads like and i'm going to take just a second and then we'll, we'll go but we're running facebook ads we're paying to run ministry ads that say how can i pray for you today you may be going through a storm 
Maybe you're, you've already faced a storm or maybe you're getting ready to go through a storm. Everybody goes through storms. And pastor says, we have the Facebook ad that says, I want to pray for you. They respond and it kicks them into our messenger bot. And then our pastor gets on the, the gets his phone. I'm with him all the time. And he picks it up and he sees what their need is. And he does an audio prayer right then and there. And he prays for those people and whatever their prayer need is. And he sends an audio message of him personally praying for that need. We have been able to, we've been praying for like eight people a day is what we're averaging. We had to turn them off so we could go to the Facebook, uh, the Facebook ad so we could go on vacation because we're getting such an overwhelming response. We had a lady that was supposed to come today. I don't know. I have not had a chance to meet her. And if she did, that they responded. But they're reaching out to us. I've been able to personally have a 45-minute conversation about the Lord with someone that is leading to conversations. These ads cost money, but Dallas and I personally are doing ministry and witnessing to people, praying for people, and then inviting them to church. And if they can't come to church, that's okay. We're sharing the gospel through Facebook. This is why we're doing outreach. This is how we're doing ministry at Bridge of Hope Church. So when you give, you're giving to the kingdom of God. So it's not last because it's least important. It's just last that your as your heart is full, this is your last opportunity to worship God on your way out. And you can do that by giving um by texting to uh, 513-280-8435. You can text to give by um, there. You can give on the bridgeseason.com slash give, or you can do it the old-fashioned way. We have a, a box out there. You can drop your money in a box on your way out. God bless you. Have an awesome week, and we will see you all next Sunday.